Welcome back to Scriptures Real. I'm your co-host, Lamar Newmeyer. This is Kerry Mielstein. Hello. How are you? Hi. <laughs> if you were with us on the last podcast, we talked about the transfer of power or the mantle, uh, the prophethood, prophetship, prophethood. I'm not sure how you say that. But the, uh, the mantle of the prophet has passed from Elijah to Elisha. And, uh, and now they're going to continue. Uh, Elisha is going to continue to be very similar to Elijah, right? Oh, yeah. The yeah. two great miracle working prophets. They do a lot of great things and they're they're well known. And um, I'd say they're well liked. And I say they're well liked by some. Yeah. <laughs> by some, not so much. Other, Yeah, other people, maybe not so much. So we're still in Second Kings chapter 2. And we're going to go to the end of that chapter, or close to the end of that chapter, in verse 19. This is just after Elijah has come across the waters. He has a little incident there with the captains of 50 strong men. Um, and there's an incident there, and, uh, and he sets those things to rights. And then he comes to this part here. We're going to go to uh, verse 19. And the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is, is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not. And the ground is barren. So uh, apparently they're having a problem with the spring or something. It's, um, sometimes yeah. they talk about springs going bitter. What does that mean when you read that? The springs have gone bitter or something has happened? Great question. And in this case, I mean, I always thought of it as, as uh, the spring going bitter. But uh, but here, as you've just read that, it says it's not and the ground is barren. So I, I, that almost sounds like it's just stopped flowing. But maybe uh, it's gone bitter. I don't know. that. So the issue is Jericho is known for, it was called the city of palm trees. Even before this, we've seen that in, in judges and so on. It's known it's down low and it's uh, got good water. And so because of this spring, and so it was a really um, uh, great place to live with lots of ability to, to drink and plant foods and, and so on. So uh, even it's one of the, like the earliest known building we've ever found anywhere is in Jericho. So it's been a good place for a long time at this point, but something's gone wrong with the spring. And uh, I, I thought it was that the water was bad, but uh, it looks like it's just that the water is uh, stopped. So they need some help with that. They're like, things have always been great, but suddenly they're terrible. Yeah, but it says two different things. We'll get to this in just a second. Um, so, you know, water tables shift and what that means, I don't know, it could, did they hit a, was a sulfur pocket, you know, uncovered yeah. or something happened in, you know, some sort of thing that happened to make the water bitter or did it just, you could have a seismic event where the, the water table shifted or the spring has shifted and stuff. But it, there's two different things that happen. First, it says uh, the water is not in the ground is buried in 19. But then we're going to see here, in uh later the waters are healed yeah and, and then they become sweet so was it the problem with the quality of the water or just not enough water it sounds like not enough water but we'll see um but the water's not in the ground is barren verse 20 and he said bring me a cruise and put salt in it so a cruise is a little vessel right yeah yeah so it's a little vessel and they brought it unto him and he and he went forth to the spring of the waters and he cast the salt in there and said which is usually, I don't know, you heal water by throwing salt in it, but no, but there's who knows how prophets do these things. But uh, he throws a cruise of salt in, and thus saith the Lord, I've healed the waters, and there shall not from uh, and there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So from that time, so in verse 22, so the waters were healed unto this day according to the, the saying of Elisha. So now, I'm not sure when the person who's writing this down. But it obviously sounds like a good long time that yeah, well, it's water. still there today. 
yeah uh, so i've drunk water from that spring and it's uh, i've been to the spring house a number of times it's good good tasty water so yeah that's so i good. and i think you're right this is an itch there may be some symbolism here that is worth exploring with the salt right because salt usually is not good for making water good in fact if you get salt in your water it, right. it ruins the land you can't grow if you have salt in there but there are probably a couple of symbols that are worth looking i mean salt is a symbol of the covenant uh in the in the sacrifices of the law of moses uh that you use salt on a number maybe all but at least we know of a number of the the sacrifices and it's specifically called the salt of the covenant so mm -hmm. it's a it's a symbol of the covenant um and and there's so there's some great symbolism there that the covenant is going to take things that are barren and um not producing and make it plentiful and and uh prosperous right that's part of what the covenant promises us but I, I think there may be another layer of symbolism here and that is you know usually salt makes water bitter like no one likes to drink salt water even if right. you, like you go in the ocean you don't drink it right right um, and yet in some way that which is bitter is turned to make it sweet and prosperous and I really think that's what Christ does for us. If we're going to think of this as symbols of water of life, Christ takes the bitter. It, 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 he goes through the bitterest stuff and makes it something sweet and wonderful for all the rest of us. And as a result, he takes that which is bitter in our lives and can make it sweet and prosperous. I think that's great. I, I've read this a few times and I've thought, why does he put salt in water? What point does that? But again, these things are symbolic. You know, baptism yeah. and, and things that we go through are symbolic of greater things. So and symbolic I, action is great. so important to these people that, uh, yes. he, that we're just going to encounter it again and again and again. Right. So he puts salt in the waters and from thenceforth, it's not a barren land. So, yeah, it's still flowing. And to this day, like you said, and um, I think that's really interesting that, that he does it. So that's one of the first couple things that that is recorded here in the Bible that Elisha does as uh, now as the prophet. And now we have, so now we have an interesting thing and, and I want to get your take on this. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy story. Uh, this is a funny story. Uh, a funny, funny in a weird way, I guess. Yeah, odd, um, odd is what you mean. Odd, right? odd is odd a better story. word. Yeah. I, again, teaching this to, uh, to seminary students uh, and, and not even just seminary students, but even gospel doctors come up and it's like, this does not seem like a prophet kind of thing. So yeah. let's just read it first and then we'll, uh, Talk a little bit. In verse 23, and he went up from thence, he is Elisha, and Elisha went up from thence to Bethel. So he's just retracing the steps that they just come, right? He just came from, well, yeah, he and Elijah, right? Yeah. And he was going up by the way, there came forth little children. Now let's make a little a distinction. You look at the, you have the Hebrew up there? Yeah, yeah, I, I got it ready for us here. So where are we? That's uh, in verse 23, uh, halfway here we go. through, little yeah. children. Yeah. So, so Go ahead. Yeah, if if you're looking even at uh, at the uh, the the LDS translation or LDS version of the King James version, it, you'll see it has a little A there. The little children is not little children. The Hebrew is youths, right? So yeah. what's the what's the Hebrew word for that? So it's interesting. You have two words that can be used for for kids in Hebrew. One is uh, yelled, which means young child. And uh, the other is na'ar, which uh, usually means um, youth, like what we would call uh, youth or even young single adult, right? So like the 12 to 22 kind of uh, range, the, the pre-fully participating adult range, we could say. 
Okay. Uh, and so you would assume uh, that it's going to fit in there, but it does have the word for little in there. So katanim. Uh, so that suggests that uh, it's on the younger side of this like 10 year range that you'd think of for Na'ar. Um, and I mean, I don't know that they actually just said it's at this specific age that we start calling you a Na'ar, but uh, right. so I don't know, it's exactly a 10 year range, but it's somewhere in there. Uh, so it's, it's on the younger side. So we're probably looking at like the 13 to 14 year olds, right? Which are like the toughest group to teach or do anything with. <laughs> God has a special place for school teachers and Sunday school teachers that teach uh, and, and young men uh, and young women leaders, especially young men leaders. So uh, uh, 13 year old girls uh, are, are tricky. 13 year old guys should probably just be uh, put somewhere for a year or two and then brought back. But anyway, I have a 13 year old girl. Oh, well, she's 14 now, but she was yeah. 13 and just recently. Interesting. Okay. So uh, they came forth, little children, out of the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. I don't know why they're, uh, why yeah. you got to shame, why you got to bald shame this guy? Yeah. Well, there may be some symbolism there. I didn't think I'd just look at a couple of the yeah. other translations. So we've got like young boys, which is uh -huh. it's probably a good one. I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know what these are going to say. I'm just kind of looking to see. Yeah, young men. Young men. So mm -hmm. other people are kind of acknowledging this uh, as we go. So anyway, sorry. So he, that's um, right. So he's, he, they're younger men. So they're not little kids. We're not talking about, you know, six or seven. Yeah, they're old. those stupid teenagers that us old guys. <laughs> what on the world, those teenagers, right? So Get off my lawn. That's right. Anyway, yep. so, but they're mocking him. And it, this has to be something more than just, you know, just calling him a bald head. There's something else going on there. I don't think we have the full story. Here. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And there, I mean, I, it may be that he really is bald and you should be nice to, although I, I make fun of my bald brother-in-law all the time, but, um, <laughs> uh, trouble. but yeah, yeah. Well, it's just cause uh, he's younger than me and he teases me about being old and I just tell him I've still got like five times as much hair as you, but anyway, <laughs> um, so, uh, but the, uh, the, of course I have a friend who, yeah, well, we won't get into ball jokes. Okay, never mind. So, um, okay, <laughs> I have a friend who has some good jokes, but we won't do it. So, uh, jokes in the comments all right, no, below. we've got to tell both of them now. So, th this is uh, this is one uh, you may know Terry Ball. Um, and Terry Ball has said this, he still has a lot of hair, so he's and it's gone gray. He says, So, he said, You don't know it, but uh, your hair keeps while it's growing out, it also grows down. And if it grows down, if it eventually hits gray matter, then it turns gray. But if it never hits any gray matter, then it just falls out. So that's, <laughs> that's his joke. But then I heard this great talk by, um, uh, uh, oh, now if we're going to have to edit this out because, oh, uh, Truman Madsen, you know, okay. great, great guy who, who was bald. And he said, uh, uh, well, speaking of being bald, you should know that we all have the same amount of hormones. Uh, that's that we just all have the same amount. And if you want to use your hormones to grow hair, that's your choice. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> then he said, after that, you may ask me what I want to use my hair hormones for, but we're just not going to go there. So, <laughs> wow. so all right, well, now we've got our jokes making fun of both bald people and people with hair. But, but uh, in the ancient world, having long hair and a long beard was a sign of respect because it meant you were older, right? Right. The mm -hmm. elders had time to grow their hair long and have a long beard. And uh, so it was a sign of respect. And in fact, if you wanted to shame someone, then you shave their beard and you shave their hair. And we even saw that when uh, the uh, new king at Amman wanted yes. to shame David's uh, rulers. And so this probably has something, this bald head, bald head, probably has something with 
saying, you don't have any wisdom, you don't have anything that we should respect or pay attention to here. Uh, yeah, and I suspect that there's more going on that they, they more than just call them names. Because yeah. the next thing that happens in verse 24 seems pretty harsh. So yeah. in verse 24, it says, and he turned back, he again is Elisha, and Elisha turned back and looked upon them, or looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came out forth two she-bears out of the woods and tear 40 and two children, or these youths, of them. Uh, That's crazy. What? That yeah. seems like a disproportionate amount of punishment for mocking someone. And then, and why they call them she-bears, I'm not sure. Well, it, it it, what it's telling us, it's probably two mama bears. Yeah. Right? These are the, they're, and, and they're, they're on the rampage. Um, we all know not to mess with mama bears, right? I, so I uh, guess. But the story's uh, interesting. It go is. And, and I think you're right that we're, like we're missing something. If we go to your, your different C's that we covered at the beginning of the year, right? And, and some of it was, was culture. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, uh, and context. And so we can look at some of that. Um, but also this, you, you mentioned this idea that we're missing part of this. It, it does seem like there's something that's not in this story or, and, and maybe it is all there. If we just had enough cultural, cultural context, I don't know, but it seems maybe. like something's missing. But one of the things we have to remember is the importance of symbolic action. Right. And, uh, if someone challenges the prophet, this is just after God has shown by symbolic action that this is his prophet and he is with him. Then you get some kids who challenge the prophet, perhaps his wisdom or something, but in some way, this is a, a, an action that will be taken symbolically. And in their culture, it will not be enough to say, no, you're wrong. I am the prophet. That's very naughty of you. Um, that, because if nothing happens to them symbolically, they've done something by action. If nothing happens to them, then it will be seen as that they're right and we should not listen to Elijah. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure the Lord could have chosen any number of things that would have seen uh, more commensurate from our cultural context, as you said. Um, but, but he's going to answer in some way, symbolically, that shows everyone that these, these guys are wrong. And he is with Elisha. Elisha is his prophet. Uh, why it's bears, and, and it says, it, it tear them. I've heard yeah. people say, well, so maybe they didn't die. Yeah, Just, look up tear. What the, what's the net Bible say about the word tear? Yeah, we can we can look at that. Um, but I've looked at it before, and um, so let's go to King James Version just so we can make sure we're all on the same page. Um, uh, so here we go. Why is it not highlighting for me? Uh -oh. All right, we'll just have to do it without them. Uh -huh. uh, anyway, and it's it's this word here. Um, and it's to split or cleave or break open or break through or tear up, right? Um, okay. So I mean, some people have said, so you just hurt it. Well, the bears just hurt these. Well, I don't know. Most people who get torn up by a bear die. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, maybe they don't all die, but it, I don't know that we need to pretty it up too much because it's ugly one way or the other. Um, and, it, and it really is. I mean, this is, this is an ugly, tough story. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it he kills them. Or it says divide. Is it actually physically dividing them? Each of them is dividing them. Does it scare them away? I don't really know. And I've, I've asked you this question because I've looked up a bunch of other or looked for other answers, and I don't really have any answers for this. But rather than pretend that this story doesn't exist or whatever, let's talk about what's going yeah. on here. We don't have enough context or maybe completeness of story to understand what's going on here. But the story we take away from it is, that the Lord does take seriously um, 
protecting his profits. And however they were mocking him or what was going on, I'm just going to have to put some faith in the fact that there was a reason that the Lord did what he did. And you mentioned before one time about, um, we talked about this during the flood times when the Lord wiped out a lot of people yeah. uh, with the flood. And, and we said, tell your timeout thing. That's a great yeah. example. I mean, or from our mortal perspective, this seems like such a big deal. If, if they die, this is such a huge deal. That's the end of everything, right? But from God's perspective, it's not. It's just, I mean, I think he sees that we have many phases of existence and he's just moving from one phase to the other. So, so basically this is saying, okay, uh, I, I'm having a problem with you right now. You're not uh, responding or you're causing trouble. I need to remove you from the situation. So I'm sending you to your room for a while. And, in, and that room happens to be the spirit world. And I'll work with you there. And we know that's what happened with the people in Noah's day. I'm going to assume it's what happens here. That, uh, I mean, I don't know anyone that uh, even as perfect as my children are, I on occasion have had to have a teenager go to their room for a while to cool a situation down or to, to end a situation, right? Uh, we just need to remove them from the situation. And I think that's what God's taken these rowdy teenagers that are, are uh, at the point of if Elisha has some specific things that need to be done for Israel, and if these people are going to stop that from happening because they have symbolically shown that he is not the prophet, that's disastrous for Israel. And maybe we need to say it's better that 42 teenage boys should perish than that uh, a nation would uh, perish dwindle. and dwindle in unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's not the end of the world for those 42. They, it's the end of this mortal life, but not the end of the world. They are sent to their room where God will work with them, and they still have chances and all eternity to still exist. They just got moved from one phase to the other. I think that's fair. And, and also, to be fair, you know, we just, Elijah took out 400, and just in one shot, 400 priests of Baal, right? Yeah. Well, those are children of God, too. Look, yeah. So, look, I'm going to have to trust that the Lord has plans for all these people, all of his children, including those who are terribly disobedient. And I suspect and, that one day when we have the same perspective that God does about uh, our time and mortal probation and everything else, I suspect that we'll say, huh, wh why were we so worried about that? I think I mentioned this before. I think I might have mentioned the flood time, but I, I, I want to get someone on the podcast. I won't, I'll have to ask her permission first before I get on her. But she has a terrific story about, um, about being just one breath away from death and having this great perspective open up and it has changed my perspective just hearing your story on how god sees things and again i, I hate to tease something that i don't i can't back up right now but that's I, I think you're right though that when we have god's perspective a lot of these stories that seem so violent and so terrible to us are but a small moment to quote um dr covenant section 121 yeah but our, the, these things will be but a small moment if you endure them well god shall exalt thee on high so, you know, I'm just going to have a taken on faith that these kids had it coming to them for whatever reason uh, and whatever terror means, if it divided or moved or, or scared them or killed them, I don't know. But they, the Lord is not going to let his prophet be, you know, just so out of whack that he kills a bunch of innocent people. I don't think that's going to happen. So, again, back to my completeness thing and, and context, we're not sure what this is, but it's an interesting story either way. We had a little bit of fun laughing at Baldhead, but let's take that story for what we see. 
let's not make fun of the prophet. Don't make light of sacred things. And um, I, I don't know that you're going to be by, torn up by she bears, yeah. but uh, let's keep the sacred sacred and and um, and not taunt the prophet. Let's do that, or let not do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's All be right. clear about that. <laughs> so, look, there are a lot of other stories and. Carrie, you mentioned uh, before the show that we were going to, that you're going to do kind of a, um, what do you call it? A, a drive-by podcast where you're going to summarize a lot of this history, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll catch some of the history because uh, basically we're going to get from uh, Elisha. To the, the next thing we pick up is the fall of the kingdom of Israel. That's what the, the next week's reading starts with. And so most of the history of the kingdom of Israel is being skipped uh, and, and we cover it in like two weeks in, and come follow me. Uh, and, but there's so many things that will make sense. So I'll do like the super, uh, bird's eye view drive-by version of history in a different episode. Okay, great. And so you, you will catch a little bit of what we didn't cover with, uh, between, we were focusing last podcast about particularly Elijah and Elisha and the transfer of that and what that looks like and, and the prophetic name changing or the prophetic, um, calling changing. Yeah. That's what we're getting to here. And, and oh, this is our podcast is basically on how these things become real. And so what I'm going to do, just point out a couple of stories that I thought were really neat. Um, and whatever I don't catch, you'll, you'll get it. You'll take care of another one. But I like this story here that we have. Um, I think it's in, uh, let's chapter go to four. chapter four. Yeah, yeah. Chapter four, the, the Shunammite woman. Yeah. I think this is a neat story. And, it um, it's neat because uh, Christ refers to it later on, um, in in his ministry, uh, in, in part of it he will reference her. But uh, Elisha comes by. Let's let me just set it up. I won't read the whole thing. But Elisha passes by, and there's a woman in Shunem. Uh, where, by the way, it, it would Shunem be? Yeah, you this is a, this is worth. Um talking about so let me set it up now and then we're going to come back to it at the end of the story because there's some important reasons to to know about this but shunem is right as you come into the jezreel valley so if you remember the story of um, gideon fighting the midianites or even saul fighting the philistines and you've got right at the neck as this comes into the valley so this is where you come out of the jordan valley uh, and up into this kind of east uh, west flowing valley the jezreel valley that's so important uh, geographically because it's the only way to travel east west in the whole country or in between three continents um, and at the bottleneck of there you have um, one hill on one side gilboa and right across the way you have the hill uh, mora um, and so for example the midianites were at mora and gideon was at uh, gilboa or Saul was at Gilboa and the Philistines were at Morah when Saul gets killed. So Morah is the name of the hill and Shunem is right there on the, the um, side of that hill. It's where some of these armies would have been camped. So it's right there on that little hill as you enter into the Jezreel Valley. Now, what else happens in Jezreel that we know of? I mean, well, all the stories we've just been talking about with uh, the uh, Jezebel, and um, uh, Ahab and, uh, and so on. And that I will talk about in the next podcast, we're going to do the Jezreel Valley a ton. Uh, there are also some interesting stories in the Savior's life that we'll come back to in just a second that happened right there. Uh, Megiddo is there. Armageddon will be there. Yeah, all, Megiddo. All sorts of stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. In that same valley region, not exactly, 
Yeah, Megiddo is on the other side. So it, it guards the, uh, this Gilboa More guards the eastern in and out of the Jezreel Valley, and Megiddo guards the western in and out of the Jezreel Valley. And Nazareth is right there also. Yeah, Nazareth it's- is just north uh, and a little bit east of Megiddo. So if you were to look at your Bible map and you would see um, in the middle uh, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee, the, the, that, that well, you're, you're this way. Anyway, going toward the coast, there, there's a valley. And it's actually quite beautiful. We're going through there. Oh, yeah. Green hills. It's um, the most fertile part of Israel. It's really neat. It's, uh, it kind of reminds me of... Um, Kind of reminds me of if you're in Arizona, Flagstaff area. Sort of reminds me of parts of Flagstaff, um, but it's a very fertile part. It's green hills. Uh, I had a great, pleasant drive to that going to Nazareth from uh, from Tiberias. Anyway, it's a neat valley. There's a lot of things that happen in this little section yeah. of the world. And Megiddo Mount Tabor again, is there. So the Mount of Transfiguration, but that's also where Deborah and Barak were. Uh, uh, Carmel is close by. Stories that happen in in uh, Jezreel. Oh yeah, this little this little section right here i mean what would you say this is probably uh the area is probably only maybe 20 miles by 20 miles ish it's it's smaller than that it's oh no uh, it is is, uh, yeah it's it's probably about the size of utah valley where provo is all right that's good that's a good uh analogy there utah valley so if you look at that that's not a huge area but a lot of things happen armageddon's going to happen there that's the megiddo uh, Nazareth, where Jesus grows up. It's not far yeah. from the Sea of Galilee. This very compact space. So a lot of things are happening in this area. I just want to kind of give a little context of where we're talking about here. So I'll give, I'll give myself a plug here uh, since okay. we're on this, that um, uh, at Education Week, on the Monday of Education Week, I'm going to do a, a series of lectures about um, uh, the geography and, and so on that help us understand all of these Old Testament stories. And we'll spend a full day on the Jezreel Valley because there's so many stories that happen there. Um, so that's a plug for coming to my education week thing, but also um, just because uh, it, it, if you can spend a full hour on the stories that happen in one valley and you don't have enough time still, then that, that tells you how much happens there. Right, perfect. I, I, this is why I, I'll tell the audience this, that I, I will talk to Carrie just before we start and I'll be okay. Hey, have you written a book or have a, lecture coming up because it seems like every time i bring up something like oh i just wrote a book on that or i just had an article come out or i'm gonna gonna do this so you're you're always like two steps ahead of where i'm thinking anyway so this is where the area is it's up in that area it's uh between galilee and the coast nice fertile little valley and so there's in shunem there there's a woman and she sees elisha passing by she recognizes him as the prophet and she says to her husband uh, let's make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set him there a bed and a table and a stool. So on top of the house, oftentimes, was a place where you would get out of the heat um, at night. Um, it, even if you watch The Chosen, um, Nicodemus meets Christ. We don't know exactly where he met, but he, they have it pictured on top of the roof. It was a place of meeting uh, quite often, or a place that you could get away, a little a little retreat area. And so they build him a chamber, and not just a little chamber. I mean, it's a has um has a a bed, a table, and a stool. So she and makes they, they basic... leave a lamp in there for him. Yeah, it says candlestick uh, and king candlestick. James. But it's yeah, a lamp. Which, they didn't have candlesticks, lamp, yeah. but yeah, exactly. So they make him a missionary apartment, basically, or a or a prophet getaway for yeah. him. they make a place because he's there for a this while. Is he the, goes the back prophet guest house apartment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly on the roof. So they make him a nice little place, and I think that's really cool. 
And, and it may be um, just that, I mean, they might have like uh, a, a big property with a wall around it and they uh, just, it seems to be built into the wall, right? They just have to throw, it's already got one wall that way. So they do three walls around the wall or something like that. Right. There's a make them a chamber. This is really great. Um, make a little, a, a nice little comfortable place to play. So uh, nice to play. I mean, stay to stay. And he's, he comes there quite often. You don't, you have to kind of read between the lines in the story. But he's there quite a bit. They know him pretty well yeah. because you'll see that while he's there. Well, and, um, and again, this is on this travel route, right? If you're going to go anywhere, you have to go through this place. So he would pass through there just about anywhere he's going. Right. And he, like Elijah, is walking a lot. He's doing a lot of, a lot of traveling through this area. And he said, when is, it, when is it to be done for her? And Gehazi? Gehazi? Yeah, Gehazi. Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. So I don't know how old she is, but her husband's old. So he's asking about, about this woman. Does it name her? I don't think it names her. No. It just says a Shunammite woman, I think is all yeah. I ever see. Anyway, it says her husband's old, and she doesn't have any children. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, about the season— According to the time of the life, thou shalt bear a son. So it's basically saying next year, about this time, you're going to have a son. And she says, oh, come on, don't put me on. That's not nice to do. She says, and nay, Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaiden. So I don't think she's really calling him out in a bad way, but she's quite serious. Like, oh, don't, don't tease me. I'm an old woman. And, the, and so uh, sure enough, it seems like next year, a year later, the woman conceived and bare a son. At that season, and Elijah had, as that Elijah had sent her, according to the time of life. Now, she has a, 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 she thought she was barren, or for whatever reason, and she has a child. And Elijah told her about that. And so um, that's a, it's a nice little story, but it doesn't end there. Here's where it gets even better. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day. Now, what does grown mean? I'm not sure. It's still a child-ish, I, I would assume. Um, but if uh, the child was grown, so old enough to be out in the field working with his father. So it's, it's a child. It, uh, we've looked up this word, and it is a, he's a child at this point. Yeah, so the woman so conceived. somewhere five to ten, something like that. Right. So, yeah, see, I, I pictured around ten years old, because, and I don't know why I don't have any basis for that, other than to know that when you're out in the field, when you're about ten years old, you can kind of be useful as a, as a kid learning the trades and things like that. So... He's grown. He fell on day. He went out to his father, the reapers, and he said unto his father, my head, my head. And, and he said unto a lad, carry him to his mother. So something's going on. Um, and when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He sat on the knees until noon and then died. So whatever episode he has there, he, he appears to die. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door. So she puts him in this little apartment thing that she's made for, for Elisha, put him on the bed. And he called her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. So I don't know where exactly Elisha is at this point. Um, but he says, and, when, uh, and he said, wherefore wilt thou go to him to this day? And he said, yeah, oh, it is neither noon, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a time for rest. You, you should yeah, be, And it's not the time for like any of the ritual meals right. or anything like that. Exactly. So it's the time we should be working in the field. Why are you taking my, my people away from me and, and my, my working animals? 
And she said, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be well. And she sat on the ass and went to the servant and drive and go back. So she goes um, to find uh, uh, Elisha. And he's at Mount Carmel. Now, I'm not sure exactly where he is on the mountain. There's little monasteries around there on Mount Carmel um, that were supposed to be the cave where Elisha was. Right? Have you ever been to those? Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, who so knows? We don't know. Yeah, we don't yeah. know exactly. But he may be hanging out there. So she goes and meets him there. And, um, and they recognize her. And behold, yonder is the Shunammite. And run now, I pray thee, and meet her. This is Elisha saying, meet her uh, and see what it's well with it. So basically, she brings it to Elisha and said, my son has died. you got to come help me. And, and verse 27, when the man of God, uh, when she came to the man of God of the hill, she caught him by the feet. Um, by the way, is that an idiom of some sort that you know about? I just think he caught up to him. Right. Yeah, I, I suspect it is no wrapping her arms around there and crying and and so on a little bit like we'll see later with the savior but i, I think yeah, she just like grabs him and is, is uh yeah falling at his feet and crying and and asking for help kind of a thing right about begging or pleading yeah. um oh i'm sorry this is not elisha that did it. this is uh uh oh no it is it's, yeah. it goes to elisha uh, but there's a there's another man whose name is gehazi yeah that's elisha's servant elisha's servant came near and thrust her away hey don't touch the prophet, you know. And the man of God said, let her alone. It's funny that they start calling him the man of God. They don't call him Elisha in this part. They call him, yeah. they call him the man of God. Elisha said to her, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the soul hath, and the Lord hath hid it from me. So this is interesting. He says, the Lord hath hid it from me. So he obviously is in contact with this Shunammite woman quite a bit. And, and he's, he's also like, used to God, knowing what's going on with people because yeah. God tells him. <laughs> right. And, he, yeah. and he's, he goes to her apartment. He's like, oh, she's upset, but I don't know why. God's hid it from me. And um, then she said, uh, I desire a son, my Lord. It did not so deceive me. And so anyway, she says, um, I need some help. And um, and then uh, Elisha says to Gehazi, his, his servant, gird up thy loins. Um and and take that away. So he just kind of like get ready to run, basically, and uh, get the staff in the hand and go that way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say don't salute him? I I would guess this. He's just saying we, we're not spending any time. We're not doing anything with anyone else. We're getting right on this. Is my guess, but I don't really know. I, it looks like it's it, to me. It looks like it's haste. If thou meet yeah. any man, salute him not. And if they salute thee, answer him not again. So the point is. With all haste, go directly and do what I'm saying. Don't stop yeah. and talk about it. Don't get a, don't get a soda on the way back over there. Yeah, you know, yeah giving this right. blessing, whatever. <laughs> don't stop for the big gulp. You, you got to go. You got to go right now. So haste is what I'm seeing there. Yeah, I think so. And the mother child did, and as the Lord liveth and the soul liveth, I will not leave thee. There's that phrase again that pops up in Elisha's stories. And he rose and followed her. Um, Elisha's fond of that that term. So he goes over there and goes, how did he pass before them and laid his staff on the face of the child? So he does something to help him out. There's a point of the story that I, that I want to get to. He lays the staff on the face. Now, I'm not sure what that means. I mean, earlier he threw salt in water and healed the waters. Now he puts the, the staff on there, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went out to get him to meet him and told him, saying, the child's not awake. So he does yeah. what Elisha tells him to do, and nothing happens. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon the bed. And he went, he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. So he told Gehazi to do something. Gehazi does it, yeah. but it doesn't have any effect. Yeah, that's interesting, he, isn't it? That, yeah, that is interesting. And I, I think we'll have to 
draw you can see that with the savior uh savior's disciples a couple times like he sends them to cast out a devil and then he's like oh well sorry didn't know it was this kind this kind only comes out by fasting right <laughs> sorry about that um, right. yeah let me so these are real these are again these are real people everything's not perfect people won't float around and and everything see doesn't always part for them um but they do they sometimes you got to try things on your own you got to go on faith well do this and i don't know why he has this idea to put a, a staff on him yeah but it, but it doesn't happen and then he, so he goes on well I, you know like you said i i gotta try something else and he went up and he laid his hand upon the child and he put his mouth upon the child it's almost like a, a cpr here or something he put his mouth on the yeah. child and his eyes upon so he basically just gets right upon this child and looks him in the, his face and and is right on top of him and his hands on his hands and stretched himself upon the child it does it's seem a, like he's giving him like Mouth to mouth and whatever else, right? And yeah, but, he, but he's, not, he's got his hands are on his hands, his face are on his face. He's stretched out over the top of the child. He's right on top of this this child or this person and stretches himself on a child and the flesh waxed warm. So that does have an effect. And then he returned yeah. to walk the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. <laughs> so the, the child opens his sneeze seven times and then opens his eyes. So his eyes get warm and, and Elisha walks around for a minute. And then the kid kind of does that. Yeah. I often picture like when Hollywood's, when someone drowns, they lay there for a minute and they do the CPR and then everybody kind of just sits up and also move. <coughs> and then all the water yeah. comes out, you know, yeah. and then yeah. the person's fine. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know why that is, but the child sneezes seven times and opens his eyes and is healed. So, um, oh, and then they, Gehazi said, call the Shunammite woman, or call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was coming, he said, take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself before the ground and took up her son and went out. So just a great he, story. It's a really great story. So there's two things that I want to point out uh, on this one here. First of all, the faith of this woman together, she helps his ministry. She sees him going around, and she's not only helps feed him, but she's builds a place for him and gives the prophet a place of refuge and they're friends for a long time. A, a, a good, you know, let's just guess at least 10 years ish or something like that. I would think a good long yeah. time they're friends. And then um, the, the child has an episode and dies and Elisha comes and brings him uh, back to life. And I think it's, it's a really neat story about the faith. It's the faith um, of Elisha. Yes, but it's also the faith of this woman who tries to do the right thing and tries to help out the prophet yeah. and 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 she's rewarded not only with the son but then the son being saved. I think it's a neat story. It is. It is. And I think uh, there's there's a fun other element that that uh, touches on a, a really important thing for us to to talk about. And then we better wrap up because we're we're uh, this there's so many good things. But anyway, <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, so this hill Moreh that Shunem is on one side of. If you go to the other side of that hill, it's a village called Nain. And Anain is where when the Savior is traveling through this same area, he comes across a funeral and there's a widow who is going to bury her son and he raises her son from the dead, right uh, on the same hill that uh, Elisha did this. Right. And, and that's an important thing because uh, we talked with Elijah and we should now talk about it a little bit with Elisha that they both are a symbol or a type of Christ. They do a lot of things that Christ will do. And, and this becomes important in the ministry of Christ. So when we get to New Testament next year, we'll come back to this idea a couple of times. But, but it's worth thinking about now as we're covering these stories that Elijah and Elisha are the best-known miracle-working prophets. 
Mm-hmm. That's what uh, I mean. They're they're prophets in all sorts of great ways, trying to get people to repent and follow Jehovah and so on. But they are known as miracle working prophets. So the Savior is frequently compared to them. He's a prophet because look at all the miracles he does. And this is a, a raising a child from the dead in the same place that Elisha does clearly puts him in that class. It, I mean, this, kind, this is the kind of thing that's vaulting him forward, right? Okay, he is among the greatest of our prophets. And then later we'll see that he does some things that even surpass their miracles in raising someone who's been born blind, which had never been done before, and raising someone who's been dead for three days, which has never been done before. And that's when the Pharisees are going to have to say, okay, this, uh, we got to do something. And the Sadducees as well, we got to do something about this because he just passed Elijah and Elisha. Right. right. Uh, uh, but but Elijah and Elisha not only are doing a tremendous amount for Israel at the time, but the way they live their lives and the miracles they did will affect people's ability to recognize the Messiah when the Messiah comes. And that's a, a part of their ministry that we we just kind of need to recognize that these are, are important for their day. They'll also be important in Christ's day. That's exactly. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to focus on this particular story. I know you're going to cover a lot of the other ones, but we talked about how Elijah emulates the prophets of old by parting the sea. He takes yeah. his he takes his mantle, he parts the sea. It's part of the symbol, the continuation of God's presence with him, with Moses, part of the sea. He's with Joshua when he goes back over uh, into Israel and crosses over the Jordan. He's with Elijah when he crossed the river. He's with Elisha when he comes back. And in the same way, Elisha heals this child and does these miracles here. Christ is the same thing. There's a continuous pattern of, of symbolism and signs to the people that God is with us. God is with us all the time from all the way from our forefathers in Genesis through the Exodus into Israel through, through all the destruction. And even when Christ is reforming the church, the, the miracles are consistent throughout there and the symbols are the same. And I think that's not insignificant that we see these same things, like you just mentioned, in the same area. I didn't put the hills together. I don't know the geography that well, but um, but I knew that there was a. This is quoted in the New Testament. This part here, yeah. and so um, I think this is an important part to understand that the the continuous prophet ship that travels through uh, through these ones that we read about in the Old Testament, through you know, like I said, Joshua and Elijah and Elisha, and I think the symbols are important. Uh, couldn't agree more. Well said. Well, that's excellent. Well, that's all the time we're going to have for on this particular one. Um, I, I hope that you uh, will listen to Kerry's next one where he's going to cover some of the, the history and he's got some other guests they're going to touch on um, Second Kings and uh, up to six. Oh, and yeah. then yeah. we'll see where we go from there. Sounds good. Thank you, Lamar. Kerry, so great to be with you. Thanks for letting me come along on your fun podcast and be a part of it i appreciate the time that you spend together and and uh i always like to learn the the things that that uh that you've both learned and things that we discover together as we go through this that's just good clean fun <laughs> well i hope you're having a good time uh going through the come follow me and also um following along this podcast leave a comment share below uh share this with other people that you know hit the like the subscribes and all those buttons and the five stars uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, are we uh, are they on the right track? Do you have some things to add to it? Um, put them in the comments. Maybe we'll discover some new things together. Thanks again for joining us on The Scriptures Are Real. Uh, I'm Lamar. That's Carrie. See you next time.